news, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and Gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. S here, Lauren, Lauren, Lauren joining me, Lauren joining me, Lauren joining me as always. I don't know why I didn't know how to say your name there. We are matching, Lauren. We're actually kind of wearing like literally the exact same colors. If you're listening to this in audio, we even like the little the little lines in the shirt. Yeah, yeah, the pattern works too. Look at us. Look at us on the same page on the Objective Basketball Podcast. Okay, Um, crazy couple of days in the NBA, and not all of it basketball related. (laughs) Well, technically, you know what? Technically. It was basketball, physically a basketball related, uh, but it wasn't basketball related. Um, so Giannis Antetokounmpo broke the franchise record. I think it was 62 points. I'm not even sure. Um, he scored a lot of points against the Indiana Pacers. I think it was 62. Now that I'm, 64, now that I'm 64, 64. Okay. At this point, it doesn't matter. He broke the franchise record, beating Michael Red's record after the game is where the conundrum, the commotion happened. Giannis, he wanted to take the ball, obviously beating the franchise record, being one of the greatest Milwaukee Bucks ever, maybe the greatest when it's all said and done, wanted to keep that basketball for himself or for his teammates. Well, actually, we'll get into that in a little bit as well. Maybe he didn't. Um, so later we find out that the Indiana Pacers actually took the ball And they did so because one of their rookies scored his first points on a free throw. Oscar Chipubwe, I think his name is. Um, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. But yes, a rookie from the Indiana Pacers scored his first points against the Milwaukee Bucks in a blowout. And so the Pacers have taken the ball and given it to Oscar. So commotion, craziness happened after that. Giannis chased after him. Have you ever watched Maury? Have you watched Maury? I don't know if I have. So, you, okay, but do you know the meme where it's I like, you're not the think, father? Yeah, okay, okay, okay. That's what the, I the thought. The camera chases after. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I know. That's I know what exactly how Giannis looked like when he was running after it in the <laughs> in the tunnel. So Giannis chases after the basketball in the tunnel. There's a kerfuffle in the tunnel. It's like, no, we're not giving you the basketball. Apparently, someone got his ribs broken, all that type of stuff. The general manager of the Indiana Pacers has bruised ribs, according <sighs> to Rick Carlisle. Um, and apparently, after all that commotion, it was actually the wrong ball. And The Bucks actually had secured the ball, but apparently that ball was also fake, according to the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis said later that it didn't feel like the ball. I'd been playing with the game. I'd been playing with the ball all game. And I, first of all, I love the fact that I'm doing this like detailed story breakdown as if people (laughs) haven't seen all this. But at the same time, I just want to do a recap just to show you guys the NBA is ridiculous. It is the best, most entertaining reality television there is i don't know about you my wife watches vanderpump rules uh, a lot oh taste taste <laughs> taste uh, i hate it i, will, I so never good. thought i never thought i would get a vanderpump rules oh, reference on my. the objective basketball podcast <laughs> and i am here for it <laughs> oh man and so so in vanderpump rules right it feels like 
they just kind of like cr- crazy up the drama. Like even if nothing's going on, they're just going to try to make something go on. You know, a lot of reality te- television is like that. I think I've brought up a Love is Blind reference on here before. Mm-hmm. Love is Blind does that a lot too. It's like, oh, let's just get things going a little bit. Let's get the ball mm-hmm. rolling. La- the last season yeah. of Love is Blind was not fun, not entertaining. <laughs> and I've been thrown into reality TV because of my wife who was like obsessed <laughs> with reality TV. All that being said, I have my own version of reality TV, and that is the National Basketball Association. There is no other reality TV, in my opinion, that does justice to this between the basketball stuff, between the drama, the craziness. Every day you can go on Twitter (laughs) and pull up that Gilbert Arenas is saying something stupid or whoever the hell. It is reality TV live consistently 24 hours seven days a week all the time and i'm sure we'll get into the draymond green stuff in a bit but i i know basketball is the reason we we watch this and yes of course the basketball is the entertainment part just like for vanderpump rules the restaurant is supposed to be the main objective (laughs) right right there's supposed to be a restaurant at stake but it's (laughs) never about the restaurant it's always about the other stuff um and I, I think I appreciate that. I think both of us have an appreciation for that. Lauren, Definitely. I've just been spewing because this has been an insane couple of days of basketball. How do you react to the whole Giannis basketball thing? Oh, my gosh. I almost couldn't believe it. Uh, I It was just another thing. I actually I texted my brother, and I was like, just another absurd storyline. <laughs> because I, in my opinion, I mean – and to me, I, I can see how people would be bo- on both sides of who should have gotten the ball. In my opinion, Oscar Sheepway should have gotten the ball because the dude went on. Oscar Sheepway. I'm sorry for mispronouncing your name. Yes. Career points. Like Giannis, you might just break your own record. You know what I mean? But this guy yeah. didn't even get drafted. Like, I think that there should be a, a bit of like, a, you know, come on now. Um, and so, but at right. the same time, it's intense, it's competitive, it's whatever. Um, I was honestly also really impressed with Tyrese Halliburton's like ability to keep his cool when Giannis was fuming. I was like, <laughs> damn, I'm pretty impressed by this. And so, but again, it was all just such madness to me and chaos that I was like eating my popcorn. I was eating yeah, that right. shit up. I'm yeah, not even going to yeah. lie. But I just, of but course. it also to me was like, it, it felt very reality TV-esque because I was like, this is a reach. Like, to me, this is not that it, big of a deal. It is and a maybe, reach. And yeah. maybe I don't get it. Obviously, obviously, I don't get it. Um, But I just am like, this is a pretty, like, intense moment. Especially if someone's ribs truly are bruised, broken, whatever. Um, That's a lot for, for this. Mm. And so... um. It was all madness to me. I was like trying to even process everything, all the new information coming out. Right. Um, but it was crazy. I think Oscar Sheepway should have gotten the ball. I kind of hope he did get the ball, <laughs> but and I have no idea where the ball is. We don't know where the ball is. We don't know where the basketball much. is, which is the, which is the craziest part of this entire thing. And you know, I agree with you. I think there is a certain competitive tick, whatever it is, the thing that makes these athletes go right. And, we can't really define it for Giannis specifically. He's been very outward about it. He doesn't work out with other guys. He's too competitive to work out with other guys, all that stuff. He's been very, in my opinion, he's been very in your face about it, right? Like he's not afraid to tell you mm-hmm. that he doesn't do things the way that most conventional athletes do it, right? 
he's tried to kind of take on mm-hmm. the whole Mamba mentality type of thing. And right. it's kind of it's kind of old and tired sometimes because you can see he's kind of like forcing it a little bit, to be honest with you. Uh-huh. Um, and maybe while he does have that competitive nature, I do know the basketball thing is actually a big deal for a lot of athletes. I can say that from watching yeah. Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry is mm-hmm. insane when it comes to saving the basketball there was a uh, shout out to Joe Wolf onto the score. He had a video that came out, you know, not, he posted a video on Twitter. Uh, the game winner, the Kawhi shot, right? As soon mm-hmm. as the shot dropped, Kyle celebrated for like 0.3 seconds. And then as soon as he saw the ball, darts to the ball, gets mm-hmm. it, and then goes, you know, congratulates Kawhi for the game winner. These yep. guys care about that stuff more oh, than yeah. anybody else. And like it, it's part of the job, sort of. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure if if like, you know, a couple of years from now, you talk to Giannis and you ask him about the situation, he probably has a different answer than he does right now. Right. But I think the best person to look at, if you look at all the videos, all the perspectives of it, the best one, the best reaction is Damian Lillard. It, he was in the middle of it. You know, have you ever been, <laughs> you know, the, the, the Jesse meme from, uh, from Breaking Bad where he's got the water and he's kind of just yeah. like looking, you know? <laughs> That was what Damian Lillard was kind of reacting to everything that was happening and saying, man, I did not know I signed up for this shit. And the crazy Mm -hmm. thing is, even afterwards, when he got asked in postgame, he's like, I have never been a part of something like that shit in my life. And I'm wondering, it's like, you know, Dame didn't necessarily want to go to Milwaukee this offseason. He was dead set on Miami, you know. And he ended up yep. in Milwaukee. Obviously, there's the Dame Giannis stuff. They obviously wanted to pair up together, et cetera, et cetera. Probably wasn't his first choice. Right. But I wonder if he's maybe thinking like, dude, I did not know Giannis was this crazy. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I do wish we could, because it, it certainly seems like you got a lot of, like, you could see a lot on Dame's face and on his reactions throughout that entire interaction that was on the floor, but I do wish we could get, like, an internal monologue from him in that moment, because some of those, yeah. like, still shots of Dame just, like, it's not, it wasn't great. It wasn't great, and so I, I don't think it's, you know, anything that we're gonna, like, that's gonna pop back up, maybe, maybe not, but nah, I do think nah. that Dame and, like, that sort of interaction is, like, very like uncharacteristic and so it's just yeah yeah, it's so i do wonder you know what what goes on what's going on through dame's head at least right now but you know i think it was just so crazy and so chaotic that i think what you said about how it's going to be talked about in however long versus how it's being talked about now is going to be completely different and and in the heat of those moments it just you know it is what it is the other side of this is pacers bucks a rivalry is brewing. There is clearly something there between oh, yeah. these two teams. Giannis uh, absolutely dominates against his team. He had 50 earlier in the season against them in pretty easy fashion. He obviously just broke the franchise record against them. They have a tough time guarding a guy like Giannis. And the Pacers beat them in the in-season tournament. They went to the finals. They obviously, you know, uh, Tyrese Halliburton had the, is it Dame time yet type of celebration too? Like, oh, yeah. there's a bit of a rivalry brewing here between the Pacers and the Bucks, And I love that shit. Like, I love the fact that the in-season tournament has built up this rivalry. Also, funny enough, mm-hmm. uh, uh, inner division rivalry. These are teams that will have to play each other four times a year. And given where the Bucks are at, given where the Pacers are at with Tyrese, like it's going to be the same players on those teams for the most part. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think 
you know, if we're talking about like effects of the in-season tournament, big W there. It won huge. Um, okay. Speaking yeah. of reality TV, uh, as if the whole ball commotion was not enough. Couple of days before that, on Tuesday, the Golden State Warriors were facing the Phoenix Suns. Warriors were not doing so hot in that game. They still it ended up being a close game, but regardless, they weren't doing as hot as they probably wanted to. And I think it was midway through the third quarter, Draymond Green kind of flings his hand, swings, and I I would probably say it was a punch. Some people would say it was an open hand slap. Some people would say it's an accident. Whatever Draymond Green probably said it. He did say it was an accident. Um, and just smack the hell out of Yusuf Nurkic. Nurkic fell on the ground, uh, deservingly so. And uh, now, obviously, Draymond was ejected from that game. It was a terrible, terrible play. This is another suspension for Draymond Green. The the NBA said that they're going to be suspending him indefinitely, which is kind of crazy. Given, yeah, I was, you know, like, I mean, like, like I don't know if it's crazy because. This is his third time in like seven months that he's been suspended for doing something. You know, the Sabonis stuff, obviously, stepping on Sabonis gets suspended for a game. And then, you know, earlier this season, the Rudy Gobert chokeout gets suspended for five games. I think that next, the natural next step was being suspended indefinitely or at least being suspended for, uh, suspended for a longer amount of games. What does indefinitely mean? Does that mean five games again? Does that mean 10 games again? Apparently, he's going to be going through some counseling to kind of like figure things out for himself, all that type of stuff as well. And ultimately, I'm not sure what, what to make of indefinitely because the last time we saw an indefinite suspension was John Morant, and I think he missed like, I don't know, eight games, I think, something along the lines of that. Right. Uh, so I don't know where, where indefinite comes like but like what do you what do you even make of that you know what i mean part of me wonders i and i have no idea but part of me wonders if when the term indefinitely gets thrown out there it's almost like an internal okay we need you to like do a couple of and i hate to even say it this way but like we need you to do a couple of things from like a pr standpoint and then Mm -hmm you can get back out on the floor. But until then, until like, you know, the world has cooled off from this. Honestly, I do think that sometimes that there there's a huge element of that involved. Yeah, that's And so fair. I have no idea what indefinitely means because this is such a unique situation. And I think what you said about the previous kind of interactions, altercations, whatever you want to call them, um, compiling. It's just like one after another in such a seemingly shortish amount of time. Just, I think that's where in the, obviously the indefinitely came in. I was, I was still surprised when I saw it. I kind of thought it would be like, okay, maybe like eight to 10 or something like that. But indefinitely is pretty crazy. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I do wonder if like, it sounds like there's that shock factor of the indefinitely, but in like six games, yeah. are we going to come back? And it's going to be like, okay, Draymond's been cleared to play. You know what I mean? Like while everyone cools off and finds another storyline. And like, personally, I don't think like, I think that there's a very real world in which it's like not the greatest way to handle it, you know? And so I, I just don't, I, to me, this situation is still open-ended. And so I'm like, right. what's going to happen here? What's going to, because I'm sitting here watching the clip on a loop and it's, it's so bad. It's not it's good. So yeah. Bad. It's terrible. No, it, I mean, 
it, yeah, it's so bad. And so I, I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm kind of waiting to see what, waiting to hear more perspectives on it. More people speak about it close to the situation. Not, and yeah. I'm talking about like warriors, like Steve Kerr. I want to hear more. I want to hear more mm -hmm. about what's going on. This clearly is ongoing. So like, let's hear about it because this is an issue that needs to get addressed. No, you're right. And uh, it, you know what's funny is I, I like I think I said this last week mm -hmm. or something along the lines of that. I think I probably said it when we were doing the choked out segment. I've been a Draymond Green apologist for a pretty long time. Uh, right. I I think he is one of the smartest defenders ever, maybe the smartest defender ever. I don't know. I haven't watched as much basketball as I wish I would love to. You know, I would have loved to see prime Hakeem or prime Bill Russell and whatnot and try to compare that way. But like for my eyes, he's one of the smartest defenders I've ever seen. He's one of the best defenders ever, probably a revolutionary defender for his generation. One of the most important pieces to one of the most important teams of the generation as well. And unfortunately, it seems like when it's all said and done, none of that is going to matter. You know, none of that is going to matter at all. You know, you see more highlight tapes of Draymond Green kicking people in the nuts and punching people in the face and stepping on people than you do of his defensive prowess in his mm -hmm. prime. And I say this as a person who's a defensive, you know, a, as an apologist of Draymond mm -hmm. Green, the things that he's doing now is inexcusable and it's all on him. It is 100% entirely on him to change the narrative around himself as he's entering the twilight of his career because mm -hmm. he doesn't have that many more seasons to give the way that he's playing the way that he's going out there I think part of this part of the you know also part of this is like the frequency in the yeah. interactions the stuff right the reason the frequency is going up is because his brain is not as his brain is like able to process things on the court but his body isn't keeping up the same way. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is kind of boiling down into frustration for him. And it's seeping into the rest of the Golden State Warriors. Clay Thompson, right? He was asked about being benched in that game. And he was like, yeah, I'm obviously pissed that I was benched in that game, but I deserved it. I sucked. And this is going to be an ongoing issue for the Warriors because mm -hmm. you see Steph playing amazing basketball, still putting up ridiculous numbers, even at age 35, still seems like a player that you can build a championship team around. But it seems like it, that his teammates, his core teammates in Draymond and Clay Thompson just aren't the same anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Same with Andrew Wiggins, who seems to have been a completely different player this year. Same with Kevon yeah. Looney, who seems like is a very different player this year and not as impactful. Um the Warriors are in a really tight spot, really, really tough spot, a, a spot where I feel like it's impossible to maneuver. I, I, I would I would I be crazy to say that I feel like this dynasty is done? Like looking back at the 2020-2022 championship, you kind of look at it in amazement and say, like, how the hell did they win that championship? One and two, you're kind of even more impressed of how great Steph Curry was in that finals to be yeah. able to lift that team to a championship. You think about where Jordan Poole is right now, right? And how, how Jordan Poole looks in Washington. You think about Andrew Wiggins and how bad he looks right now with the Warriors. You think about Klay Thompson, how poorly he's played this season. Draymond Green, obviously. Kevon Looney. All these guys right now seem like they are going on the opposite side of their careers. They're kind of in the downturn of their careers. Steph mm -hmm. isn't. So that 2022 championship 
become so much more, I guess, impressive to me that they even won that thing. And I, I don't know, I guess like maybe not to be existentialist about it, but do you think it's over? Like, do do you think there's any way this team recovers and builds another championship type team around Steph? The thing that is so hard is like when you've got someone like Steph at the middle, there's always like a possibility that you can find yourself back at the top competing for a championship. But right now with the stuff going on with Draymond, how bad clay looks and how rough it's been. And then the drop off of Andrew Wiggins right now. No, I, 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 I I think that there's no world in which you could say they're up there competing with the top tier teams of the league right now. Um, And I, I, I fully expect them to figure out, ways and and avenues forward to try and shuffle the deck because to sit and try and keep pushing this formula whether it be a Steph Clay Draymond nucleus or just moving on from that I mean we've talked about the possibility of moving on from Clay Thompson and how it just doesn't seem yeah. plausible or possible with the relationship in the, the contract politics extension, right? yeah. yeah and so but there's a lot of questions to be asked and so you know, the Chris Paul contract, just everything going on right now in Golden State, there are so many things that need to change. You mentioned Kevon Looney and his kind of step back this year. There's so, so many things that need to be addressed and need to be changed. I don't see a world in which they can, you know, be this dynasty right now, continuing yeah. with this group. They've got to do a massive reshuffle and it's all about, do you have the assets to do it? Is that player, there's so many moving parts and, and they've got a big, big challenge up at this next trade deadline. Look, and I do want to say this. Yeah. They have had an incredible run. Like Good. from 2014 to 2022, if you want to call it, eight years of sheer dominance, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely insane dominance. Steph Curry, first unanimous MVP in NBA history, two-time MVP, revolutionized the game, the game of basketball, three-point shooting. You know the story. It's well-documented. Draymond Green, small ball five, right? Reintroduced that. I think he also, in a certain way, revolutionized how teams play defense. Yes, it's kind of coming back to the big man era, but for the most part, like teams were trying to figure out a way to beat the Warriors for eight years. Um, They won four championships. Steph won his finals MVP. I'm not saying it would be a bad way to go out. This is actually, no, let me, let me retract my statement for, for a team that has had such a decorated run. Such an incredible run. You kind of feel bad that they're not going out on top. Mm-hmm. And you kind of feel bad at how bad it seems like it's going to look as they kind of dissipate and, you know, kind of crash and burn, if you will. You think of like the Jordan Bulls, right? 90, 96, 97, right? They kind of went out on top. They won that sixth championship and said, you know what? We're dismantling everything. It would have been weird, in my opinion. I wasn't there, so I don't know. But I'm saying it, it would have been weird, in my opinion, if they were like, "Hey, well, we'll trade Scottie Pippen now, and we'll <laughs> see if we'll see if we can get something." You know, Tracy yeah. McGrady. I think that was the deal, right? That was something that had come up. We're gonna trade Scottie Pippen for Tracy McGrady and try to build around Jordan and McGrady. And Phil Jackson is gone, but we're gonna try to hire I don't know Mike Dunleavy, whoever I don't know, <laughs> right. and and see if it works, right? Yep. I don't know. I just don't feel like that would have made the essence of Jordan and the Bulls in the in the 90s it wouldn't have been the same Mm-mm. if he had not gone out on top mm-hmm. and i i feel like people look at the Shaq and Kobe stuff and how that ended 
and they're like, well, man, they won three, but they could have won more. If they just, if Shaq did this, if Kobe mm-hmm. did this, they could have figured it out, blah, blah, blah. They could have right. won more. You know, the Miami Heat stuff with LeBron and D-Wade, they're like, well, man, if, if they just, you know, <laughs> there's always the what ifs with certain teams. Right. You thought the Warriors would be able to go out on their own terms. It doesn't seem like they're going to go out on their own terms, which is, it sucks. You know, it does. I, it does. Yeah, I don't know. It do- no, it, it it does suck because it's like going into this year when they made the trade for Chris Paul, I think a lot of people were like, oh my God, look at this. Like they've just yeah. added to the bench depth to this already super dangerous team. Like that's going to be a nightmare. And now I think we're seeing the wear and tear, the miles just all kind of come to light at once, which is really unfortunate. It's really unfortunate to see stuff like that. Um, but yeah. I mean, that is just the way it goes sometimes. And so it is what it it's, is. Yeah. it's, it's a matter of like, do you want to keep just riding it till the end for the sake of keeping this group together and like, you know, just keep on going or do you try and no, like, I'm sorry, like take the emotions out of it, take everything out of it. It's business reshuffle yeah. the deck and get out there and get aggressive. And that is where I'm trying to, I think it'll be a balance somewhere in between. Uh, but that's where I, I want to see, that's where I'm looking at next. Like, okay, you've, there's no, there's no, let's stay, stay. What is it? Stand pat. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. So what is it going to be? What, what direction right. are you going to go? And I, I think my eyes are definitely on Andrew Wiggins, but I am curious to see if there is something there with clay or if, yeah. you know, something bigger that, that is sort of not on the table right now comes on the table that results in a Chris Paul getting moved. So right. um, that's kind of where I'm, my head's at. So look, since we're on the topic of conversation, this is what we wanted to have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, discuss for this part of the podcast. We wanted to talk about reality TV, Vanderpump <laughs> rules. We also wanted to talk about the Warriors. Um, and I think the four teams we wanted to talk about in terms of teams that might have to press that panic button, you know, we're about 30% into the season. One of the teams we were going to talk about is the Warriors. Um, and, you know, I think for, for your, for your kind of point here, you mentioned, Wiggins struggling. He's at a career low in points, career low in field goal percentage, career low in three point percentage. Clay Thompson, same thing, career lows and pretty much everything else. This has not been good. And I have a stat here for you. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, there are 33 teams that have played, sorry, there are 33 lineups that have played more than 100 minutes together this season. The Warriors starting lineup, which is Steph, Clay, Draymond, Wiggins, and Looney has played 133 minutes and is minus 9.8 in those minutes together. Steph, for the first time in his career, is actually a negative on the floor. That's partially because of the guys that he's playing with, because he's right. not playing with Clay. He's playing with Clay a bunch. He's playing with Wiggins a bunch. And those guys are really dragging down his, his plus minus. Mm-hmm. So that minus 9.8 rating among the 33 teams is 29th they are very 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 bad as a starting unit that's why you saw in that game they started they i think they started the second half with jonathan kaminga and brandon Mm -hmm. pajimsi because like they can't find anything else they have no other solutions uh and to your point i feel like this is a team that should be pressing the panic button how do you feel about that I, I, I definitely think they need to be pressing the panic button. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing is you've got interesting guys and guys that are valuable, but you absolutely cannot afford to keep 
going the direction that you're going. You've got to try right. and switch something up, whatever that be. Even if it's like a, even if it's like a, a an extreme lineup change before you press the real panic button and start selling. Uh, yeah. But when you've got Steph playing like Steph and you've got even the young guys that are impressing and like doing their jobs, at least within reason, like it's the two, three, four, five. That's like, we have got yeah. to get that sorted out. And that is unacceptable. Like it, you can, you can make excuses for young guys struggling and like, okay, well, the timeline just isn't there or there's nothing we can do about that. There's still solid players, whatever. But when it's the guys who you fully expect and you've paid to step up and they're mm -hmm. not really, you know, meeting that expectation, that's when you've got to figure out a way to get around that and figure out a way to put your franchise cornerstone in a position to compete for a title. And so right. it's it's not that simple. It's not that clear cut because there is so much internal politics and relationships going on and so we'll just have to see and and I'm, I'm talking relationships between players relationships between players in the front office and also relationships between front offices that could i mean there you could have some organizations out there that might be like i am over the warriors dynasty i will not be trading with them i'm not helping them i don't care I'd rather go trade <laughs> yeah. with someone else. And I don't know that yeah. that is happening, but to say but maybe, that, you know, maybe, there is, you know, yeah. and I think that there are such rivalries that I, I think that if anybody could make a trade out of their own conference, there are so many things to consider that could mm -hmm. potentially keep the Warriors from getting a deal done. Uh, the one that they view is the right one for them. Yeah. So the thing is, that's the issue. What is the deal that makes this team go from a 10 and 13 team outside of the playing race in the Western Conference right now to a contender? Because mm -hmm. that's their goal. It's to try right. and win a championship around Steph Curry or at least give him a chance in the playoffs, you know? And I just don't see what trade that is that is available to them. Mm -hmm. I don't think Levine solves their problems. <laughs> no. I'm not sure if there's another player out there right now you know, good or bad that can really solve their problems in a major way. You can kind of convince yourself that, oh, maybe, you know, they try and trade for Alex Caruso and yeah. maybe DeMar DeRozan's shot making. But I don't think any of that solves any of the defensive issues or mm -hmm. the offensive issues and moving the ball and like ultimately some of the struggles that they've had from their other guys. And so my question is to you, I guess. Yeah. From the three major contracts that they have, you know, if if the Warriors front office goes to Steph and says, hey, Steph, man, we got to make a trade. And one of these three guys has to go. OK, mm -hmm. the first thing that name they bring up, Clay Thompson, Steph says, nope, sign him to an extension. No way. And you're like, OK, yep. shit. OK, so now we have Andrew Wiggins or yep. Chris Paul. Yep. What do you think Steph would say? I feel like he would say Chris Paul, right? Oh, that's a good. Whew. When it comes, I don't know. That's actually, a, I, that's a good question because I do think that he would probably say Chris Paul. I think it's easier to say Chris Paul, and I think it's easier to make an argument of we've seen what Wiggins has done in the past for us. He, we need, we can't afford to lose that. We can't afford to lose, lose right. the perimeter defense, and he's been he was a huge part in their title I, that yeah. final series versus Boston. And so I think you could very clearly, if you're just asking the players, you know, who would you? Which contract do you want to move? It would be Chris Paul. But well, the other thing is Chris Paul is an expiring salary too, so it might be uh, yep. a little bit easier, easier to involve him in a trade than Wiggins, right. you know, extension salary. Kind of makes right. less sense, right? So, yeah. so then you say, okay, Chris Paul. Now you got to include some of the young guys, Steph. Which young guys do you want? And he's like, okay, 
you can add Kaminga to any deal. Okay, cool. Yep. Chris Paul plus Jonathan Kaminga. Okay. We we probably need to add another young guy, which Moses Moody or Brandon Pajimski. And they're like, okay, well, you know what? We'll add Moses Moody. All right, into this. And so now it's Moody, Kaminga, and Chris Paul in a deal. That's about 40, 40 ish million dollars in salary, a little bit more than that. Who are you going to get in that? I, like the only person that comes to mind, the one person that comes to mind is Pascal Siakam. That's literally the only guy that makes sense for this team, for the roster, for all that stuff. But back to the question I asked you earlier, is Pascal enough for this team to turn from what they are right now to championship contender? I love Pascal. You yeah. know me. We've talked about him a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. He is an all-NBA player. Very, very good. Very talented. But I mm-hmm. don't think one player is going to solve this. Unless unless that player is like you slot in LeBron James. <laughs> I, I just don't think there's really right. a one-player solution to their problems. And so panic button, throw it out the door. It's like we're in panic mode. You got to get to the panic room because <laughs> right. it's done. I feel like they're cooked. Like it's over, you know? Yeah. And there's no real easy way out of this. Yeah, I think I think that they absolutely need to get aggressive and I don't know that they have I don't know that they have the best deal for Pascal. I yeah, really I don't I don't know that it's the right, but I've got a scenario that I want to float to just see what your thoughts are on it at surface sure. level. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this is not including any draft compensation because I'm not even gonna not even gonna go there. Um, okay. At the surface level, what are your thoughts on Chris Paul? Wait, let me make sure this money works. Yep. Let me make sure this money works. Let's do this. Okay. Chris Paul. Jonathan Kaminga and Brandon Pajimski to Cleveland mm-hmm. for Jared Allen, Isaac Okoro, and Ricky Rubio. Mm. And that's interesting because Cleveland is one team that I was going to bring up the panic button for. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this is funny. Um, huh. Hmm. So who are the players coming back to to the Warriors? So it would be Jared Allen, Jared Isaac Allen. Okoro. Isaac Okoro and Ricky Rubio. Yeah, and Ricky Rubio is not going to play, so it's essentially just salary mm-hmm, um, to make a match. So yeah, so it'd be essentially really about, Isaac Okoro and Jared Allen. Yeah, yeah, it's basically it's basically Okoro and Jared Allen for Kaminga, a young player, and then whatever mm-hmm. you can get out of Chris Paul for whatever time right. you have left. You know. Yeah. Um, hmm. I feel like the Cavs would say no. I, I think feel they would like too. on. On a gut reaction, I feel like the Cavs would say no. Uh, and maybe we can mm-hmm. transition into our Cavs talk now. Yeah, um, sure. B- because I, I feel like so, – so, look, the Cavs are in a position right now where they're, they're 13 and 11. They're 5 and 5 in their last 10. They're ninth in the Eastern Conference. I had pegged them much higher than that. I thought mm-hmm. that this group, this combination of players would mesh very well, would kind of be – uh, like Max Struess, George Niang, it would be the exact type of players this team would need to thrive, right? Mm-hmm. And honestly, Max Struess has been sensational. He's yeah, been awesome yeah. for this Cavaliers team. George Niang, in his spurts, has been really good for this team. The only issue is, is that they haven't been the healthiest. 
Mm-hmm. Jared Allen has missed a couple games. Evan Mobley recently has missed a couple games. Donovan Mitchell has missed a few games. Darius Garland has missed a few games. And it really hasn't got a chance for this thing to kind of get off the boat, if you will. It, they, they haven't got off to a really, really good run. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was checking at it, just checking their lineups. That starting lineup, Mitchell, Garland, Struess, Allen, and Mobley, still super positive. They they have a plus 4.5 net rating. They do very, very well on the floor together. And when you start to interchange some of these other parts, when it's one of the big men on the floor, it, it actually performs a lot better. But right. they still overall, as a whole, perform really, really well with both of those right. big mans together. And, you know, shout out to my guy, Justin Roan. We were talking about this on, on, on Twitter the other day. But, like, he was saying, hey, the numbers this year shouldn't factor into your overall opinion about this team because they just haven't been healthy. Last year, the numbers, much larger sample size, right. kind of tell the real story about how successful this team will be. If I were to say, should we be pressing the panic button for the Cavaliers? I say no. Let's not pe- press the panic button. I say let's wait. And you know, to your question about hey, maybe they the Cavs are going to shake things up. There's the Donovan right. Mitchell stuff that's going to come up this summer and extension talks and all that stuff. Yep. I wouldn't press the panic button until this summer. This summer, you can start to say, well, hey, they were they they were below expectations this season. They were a first round exit or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Then we can have that conversation. But for the most part, I wouldn't panic. I think. They still need to work out the kinks around this roster. I think they need to be healthy, to be honest with you. Um, and honestly, I think the Mitchell and Garland stuff has been more of a question to me than the Allen and Mobley stuff. It feels like they're still asking too much out of their guards, even though they have other answers. Mm-hmm. And to me, this feels like a team that might need a coaching change more than it needs a roster change. Just a guy to come in and give it a different look a different perspective. And I feel like that's probably what they addressed this summer. So I wouldn't press the panic button with the Cavaliers. I think just kind of ride the season out, see where they land, see if they can get healthy, go from there. Yeah. I'd say I'm probably with you on that. I, it's the thing that I know you've been, I know you've been team trade Allen for a little bit though. Well, the, the thing is, is, is like, it's not as much that I'm like, oh, Cleveland, if they really want to be successful, then they have to trade Jared Allen. It's more like from the outside, there are so many teams that I think could use Jared Allen. And now right. is a pivotal yeah. time where if you get in there for the right price, I think you can beat the crowd before he really becomes available. And then you just yeah. get, then you don't even have a shot. And so a lot of teams, I mean, so I think I don't even know that it's like, like what you said, the sample size and the numbers last year versus this year are apples and oranges. Um, but I think it's really, really risky business kind of waiting for a playoff performance where, okay, say you lose in the first round, say you get waxed in the first round. Mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell Like they like, did last year. Right. Yeah, yeah. Donovan Mitchell's like, screw this, I'm out. And then you're like, okay, now we have to shuffle the deck and maybe we move Jared Allen and get pennies on the dollar there. Like I'm not even mm-hmm. saying that that's what's gonna happen at all, but I think that you would be in for such a significant shakeup by potentially losing Donovan Mitchell, potentially being forced into a coaching change. And that right. is so much, that's a lot to, to, to overcome. And so um, I don't know what the answer is there. I think even having, you know, Evan Mobley and even um, Darius Garland, where they're at in their careers, they could come out the other side of a significant change, like roster overhaul like that and be okay. Uh, but I think it would just, 
it just presents a lot of risk. And so mm. sometimes you got to take that gamble. And I do think that maybe going off of their numbers last year and also looking at just the what is on paper with this group, especially bringing in the shooting and how everyone was complimenting their moves this offseason, you do have to give it at least a year. To let it to let it all kind of come together and see how the roster looks and and maybe yeah. they're able to maybe everything goes okay enough and it does ultimately just be maybe a coaching change uh, so I, I think that it's probably best to be more safe than sorry and just ride it out with this group and then worst case you make a change with the coaching adjustment but I think that there's also a very real possibility of things go very poorly and all of a sudden you're left with shoot what's next and that's right. that's i think worst case for cleveland yeah yeah i i get what you're saying you want to you want to play from a position of advantage versus disadvantage yeah you don't want to be you don't ever want to find yourself scrambling where it's all like yeah. okay well now we're like look at where we were like the good old toronto raptors i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get into that but yes <laughs> yeah but i mean pretty similar like you don't you just you don't want to have to be recovering to from too many moving parts uh yeah. and and it just you know i, I don't know I, I think that there could then be a really real conversation of well what would have happened if we just hadn't traded for donovan mm -hmm. mitchell look at what larry market like there's so many <laughs> what ifs there and then right. it's just like yeah. eh, you're getting too mm -mm. so i think that cleveland needs to just pick honest not pick a direction but like really identify where the biggest points of risk and the biggest kind of area c concerns are right. and if it's and if you want to say it's just health and we'll just wait it out then then that's the direction that they choose and we'll see how it works out jared allen is a really really good center like a really he good is. big man. Absolutely. Uh, I'm a big fan. And I think it's just a wonky overall fit between him and Mobley that they are actually doing a good job of overcompensating for with Mitchell, with Struess, with Niang. Like they, they've put shooting there. But we just have to ditch the idea that Evan Mobley is ever going to be able to space the floor. Um, it's just, I don't think it's going to happen. He's at a career low in attempts this year at 0.5 three-point attempts. He's shooting 20% on those attempts. He's never cracked 30% as a three-point shooter. We just got to give that up. Like he's not going to space the floor for you. And so when you factor that in, you already know Jared Allen isn't going to be spacing the floor. It becomes harder to keep that long-term. Uh, and I think to your point, you know, you have to kind of think with two, three years ahead when Mobley is, is, is in his prime, when Garland is in his prime, how is this team going to maneuver that? And I think that's a fair question to ask. And to your point about the Warriors before, th the Cavs might be in a position to actually get younger by trading a guy like Allen, getting some wing depth, and going a little bit younger now so that in the future, when Mobley is in his prime, when exactly. Garland is in his prime, they're in a better position to, to contend. Right exactly. now, though... I'd, I don't know. I wouldn't press I the panic you, button, but like, yeah. Yeah, I think you have to always have the question. And I think a lot of teams fail at this. You have to have the question of, and maybe they're thinking about it. Maybe they're not. I don't know. I'm not even going to act like I know who's doing what. Yeah. But you have to be having the conversations of, do we sell high? Because if not, are we then finding ourselves in a position of, oh, we've got to wrap this guy into another like a like a package to where we can hide his salary a little bit and we don't have to give up assets to move off of this salary or is right. he playing so well especially someone like Jared Allen on that contract that like it was always going to age well so do you sell high on that or 
do you wait until, okay, things are now really bad. We've got to just shift the deck and everyone knows that. And then again, you're like you mentioned, you're operating from a point of disadvantage and the offers are crap. That is yeah. you never, ever. I'm so big on you never want to find yourself in that position. And if you have to make it a hard decision, make a hard decision. But, right. you know, I, I think putting it all on Donovan Mitchell is not necessarily fair for the rest of the guys, the coach, whatever, but you have to kind of be, you have to evaluate these, these paths forward realistically. And so if you're going to, you know, put all, push all your chips in and just let it ride, then let it ride. Good luck. Okay. Let's talk about the bulls. That's the let's other panic team you got, right? Um, yep. I feel like we've talked about them so much. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you, I feel like you can't have this conversation without having the bulls. So I feel like we'll, you know, we'll obviously try not to repeat ourselves here, but yeah, they're panicking. But we, but we know, yeah, you, you know, look, they, they've actually been better as of late. They're actually four and yeah. one with Zach Levine, without Zach Levine, by the way. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. all right, very nice. Kobe White has been playing really Kobe well White. recently. Kobe White has been hooping. They're nine and 16, so they, they, like, they're still not in any position to contend for, I mean, maybe the East isn't very good, so maybe they're in a position to get into a playing spot with some moves and shakeups, but ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, we're leading towards a Zach Levine trade here. Yeah. That is what is inevitably going to happen. We're actually not that far away. Uh, yeah, we're two days away from, you know, some of these guys being available for trade. December 15th is the official uh, first deadline, if you will, for guys who are available for trades. And yeah, Z- Levine might get involved in one of these. Ultimately, yes, they are panicking like crazy in Chicago. And I was having this discussion earlier with someone. It's like, what what team out of Chicago, Toronto, and Atlanta is in a worse position long-term? And like we all said, no doubt, Chicago is in the worst long-term position. Mm-hmm. You know, picks out the door, they don't have like a blue chip prospect to hang their hat on. That's the big issue, right? That's the big differentiator yeah. between them and anybody else. And I think that's where you got to find a way to either stay competitive with some semblance of this team. Maybe you swap Levine for someone else and try to stay competitive, or you just tear everything down, every single aspect to the studs. You tear it down, you trade DeMar, you trade Levine, you trade Vooch, you get whatever you can in terms of prospects and picks, you just start over, right? You're going to be terrible regardless, but you won't be Pistons or Wizards or or Spurs bad. That's probably what they should do. I don't know if that's what they will do, you know? I Yeah, I, I don't know either because they just – they like to try and stay aggressive Chicago in their front office. And with AK, like he just, that's not his MO. It's not his MO to tear it all down and tank and just reset the deck. And so it's to me, it's so obvious that that's exactly what they need to do, but will they do it? I don't know. Like, and so I just, I don't know that it's reasonable to expect. Uh, And I also don't think that any of the players that they have right now could net them really anything even close to that blue chip prospect Mm -hmm. that they need to kind of center their rebuild around. And so it's been cool to obviously see um, Kobe white looks so solid. And and even Patrick Williams has had some pretty like solid stretches. And so I think that they've got positives within this whole thing, but you, these guys, you already have an idea of who they are and what their trajectory is. And you never know when someone's going to have a late pop, but you have an idea of where they're at kind of post couple of years after their their draft. And so I think for Chicago, 
the key should absolutely be to at least sell on DeMar DeRozan. And what's crazy is that to me, it's like, okay, the easiest guys to sell on are DeMar DeRozan and um, Alex Caruso. You can try to get some assets there. I don't know that they're going to be that great with DeMar, in my opinion. Maybe they will, but I don't think they will be. Um, But with Alex Caruso, you can absolutely get something there. And so you've got to at least start with that. Unfortunately, the one guy who doesn't want to be there is going to be the guy that's hardest to trade. And so that is the biggest predicament. Um, And... I, I mean, I'm not that Zach has said, oh, I don't want to be here or anything like that, but I think the writing is on the wall and we all kind of see it. And so right. um, I do feel like if you're going to try and trade Levine and maybe in one breath, you're like, okay, these are the offers on the table. They're not great, but we can make do with this. If you're all, like on the heels of that, okay, well, let's trade Caruso. We've got these deals. And overall, if this is how we come out of it, you know, so be it. And then even if, like, I'm not saying not trading DeMar it would be a good move by any means, but even if you don't, and then he's not on your books next year, you do have a bunch of cap space open, and there is value in that. And so um, they've got, in my opinion, they've got to trade Alex Cruz. So that's what it comes down to, because that's the only place that you're going to get any sort of draft capital, any sort of real tangible asset. Yeah, that's grim. It's hard. That's pretty grim. That's grim. It's very, very grim. grim. Um, yeah. And look, I mean, we're, we can't keep rehashing Chicago until they do mm-hmm. something. It's tough to be like, well, they shut, they suck, but yeah, what are they going to yeah. do? Um, yeah. okay. The, the, the final team I kind of wanted to panic on was the Atlanta Hawks. And this isn't more of a panic. This is just more like play. They're like pretty bleh. Um, mm-hmm. they're nine and 14. They've lost three. They've lost, uh, seven of their last 10. They've lost five in a row. One to the Toronto Raptors last night. They're playing the Toronto Raptors again, if you're listening to this on Friday morning right now. Um, and so I, I kind of like, I think there are parts of the Hawks that are interesting, right? They have a lot of young, interesting oh, yeah. pieces. And Yeka Kongu, Jalen Johnson, who's been hurt for them. I think Sadiq Bey has been actually pretty good for them for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think AJ Griffin isn't in their rotation right now, but also another interesting young player for them. They have like, Parts that work, but I mm-hmm. think their overall nucleus, like the DeAndre Hunter, Clint Capella, um, DeJounte Murray, even that to me doesn't seem like the nucleus that makes sense around Trey Young. And, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't been the greatest that starting lineup, even with Jalen Johnson in the 172 minutes they've played together is minus 6.1. So they haven't been very good. Um, right. and they've been near the bottom of the league when it, when it comes to those high frequency starting lineups, um, just hasn't been good. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if this team is ever going to be a good defensive team around Trey young. They are currently, what are they right now? They are currently 27th on defense. They are fourth or fifth on offense. So like they've, they've pretty consistently been that mm-hmm. team, you know, Unable right. to defend anybody, but very good offensively with Trey, just like a world beater. DeJounte Murray has played well this season. He's shooting the ball well this season, so mm-hmm. maybe there's that. But it kind of leaves you feeling like this team isn't really going anywhere. And what are we really even doing if we're not leaning younger to develop some of these guys? To Obviously, Jalen Johnson has turned into maybe an MIP candidate, but like, let's give A.J. Griffin more minutes let's Kobe Bufkin hasn't barely played, but like, let's lean into the youth a little bit more because like, it's just grim. Otherwise I'm not the highest on Deandre Hunter, not the highest on Clint Capella. 
those feel like very, very borderline starters on an NBA team. <laughs> and I just don't know if that's enough around Trey Young. I know the idea yeah. was to like build defense, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I just, again, you cannot get to a point where you hang on to a nucleus for too long because mm. then even, even if Clint Capella is averaging 11, 10 and nearly two blocks, their defense is atrocious. And even with DeJounte Murray, like you mentioned, having a solid year, but it's just like your nucleus, it's not working. It's not working. And when you have someone like Jalen Johnson taking a step forward that a lot of people probably weren't betting on him taking, uh, you've got to be maximizing on the things that are going right. Even Bogdan Bogdanovich is performing very yeah. well, and yet you can't put it together. And so you've got to switch switch something up. You've got to sh- shuffle the deck. And it, it what, what kills me is that when you look at, okay, well, where could they improve? Okay, it's DeAndre Hunter and it's Clint Capella to change the direction. Fine. I, I completely agree with you that you've got to find ways to get AJ Griffin in there and you've got to find ways to get Kobe, Bu- Kobe Bufkin in there. I think when you're not like operating at a point where it's like, okay, yeah, obviously you want to be competitive, but if you're not competing yeah. at a level, that's like, okay, we can at least give the tough, the toughest teams a run for their money. Um, and I'm not saying that they can't at all, but it's very clear where they stand. And so you've got to at least prioritize these young guys who have plenty of reason to, to, uh, yeah. you know, have the hope and, and, and the, the idealized versions that they, and, and that they can take that, that leap. Um, and so when you're looking at Deandre Hunter and you're looking at Clint Capella, you've got to do something there. I don't know if it, it's a lot to move both, but they've been trying to move both. This isn't a new thing. Um, and I, I honestly think that the best one for them to move would be Clint Capella for a multitude of reasons that we've talked about on Yako Kongwu and getting him in there. Um, but I just think that with DeAndre Hunter, maybe they can move him, but the Pascal thing didn't come to light. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. I feel like right now, probably nothing has really changed on that. Front well, it's funny Atlanta. you say that. Let's it's funny it. you say that. Give because me. well no i i mean i think pascal would be a pretty good fit on this team yeah uh, definitely but like how how much does he improve that roster compared to the rest of the east it's like look they're like borderline playing team right now potentially uh-huh. a playing team you know they've kind of missed some guys they're not as healthy so maybe they are like a surefire playing team but uh-huh. with pascal they'd probably be like a top six team top five six yeah right i, I agree with that let me ask and, you this yeah oh sorry keep going no no no, no i'll no. ask when you're done uh, th- the only thing I was going to say is like, it's funny because mm-hmm. three of the four teams that are hitting the panic button right now are pretty good Pascal destinations, right? It's crazy. Oh yeah. And that's a pretty good spot for the Toronto Raptors to be in because hundred percent kind of makes sense. You know, I could see sense. the bulls saying, well, we'll do a Levine Siakam swap. All right. You know, and I don't know if the Raptors would do that, but you know, there's, there's a world in Something which the, throw the out bulls there. at least try the warriors. Obviously we talked about a little bit, but yeah, the Hawks have been rumored a bunch when it comes to the Siakam stuff. And I I don't know if that ends up being the final destination, but I do think there's like four teams right now that I can envision going for Siakam. Mm -hmm. Atlanta, Golden State, Sacramento, Indiana. Those are the four that I could see. Absolutely. Um, And who knows? Who knows which which of those, you know, kind of goes for it. But Well, that's what I wanted to ask you is looking at Atlanta and kind of seeing how things have shaped out for them so far – is there something like what names on the roster would interest you as a Raptors guy? And, and do those names, are they enough to outweigh some of the other teams that we've talked about? Not even mentioning, we haven't even talked yeah. about, I mean, we have talked about Sacramento in the past as a King's destination, but even just looking at the teams that we're talking about right now today, do you think that what the Hawks have to offer 
would be enough for Masai? I think Indiana hypothetically would have the best offer. Um, just because they have like the young guys, they have the picks, they have all that, right? They have the nucleus to be able to trade him and still have a pretty competitive roster. I think second would probably be Atlanta. Um, oh, AJ really? Griffin's, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Because I think AJ Griffin's interesting. The Raptors yeah, loved Kobe Bufkin at the draft, so they would love to have him, you know, be kind of a point guard. They need some guard depth too. Yep. Uh, kind and of I like know that mold that you like. Yeah. Right. Darko Ryakovic is Serbian. Bogdan Bogdanovic is one of the most decorated Serbian players there is. And I think there's a connection there too. So maybe it's like Bogdan Bogdanovic plus AJ Griffin plus Kobe Bufkin plus a pick will get you Pascal Siakam. Maybe the Raptors throw in like a Chris Boucher or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? But um, for the most part, like there's, there's a, there, there is a framework there. Um, But I imagine, right. Yeah. But I imagine the Hawks would also say like, we're not giving you Bogdan. You take DeAndre Hunter or mm-hmm. find find a third home for Clint Capella and we'll do that instead. And like, I don't think the Raptors are as interested in that. Um, yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, but these these are four teams that absolutely need to or maybe are on the borderline of panic. For sure, the Golden State Warriors are in panic mode. For sure, the Chicago Bulls are in panic mode. I'd say the Atlanta Hawks are in panic mode and TBD on the Cleveland Cavaliers. But... Lauren, anything else before we head out of here? I actually do have something else. Since it's Thursday and we normally okay. talk about our teams, I just have to give Dante Exum his props. Hell yeah. Because I was thinking about this earlier and I was like, you know, the Mavs, everybody's, maybe not everybody, but a, a fair amount of people are giving Dante Exum his props. And the Mavs have okay. been without Kyrie Irving, without Josh Green, without Derek Jones Jr. for some games, without Grant Williams for some games, without Maxi yeah. Kuba, and Dante motherfucking exum has been (laughs) the secondary ball handler he's been the wing defender he's been anything they need to be with a smile on shooting the lights out too right he gets all the props from me it's been amazing to see and so i just had to give him his time because i've loved it i love seeing guys you know make their way back into the league and then make the most of it and it's just been so fun to watch so props to dante exum and i can't wait to see him keep it going Wow, we really ended off on Dante Exum. Shout out! Hell to yeah, him, we man. did. Shout in 2023. I like it. I like it. Shout out to the Australian man, Dante Exum. Getting to it. Uh, okay, listen for me from Lauren from Dante Exum. Appreciate <laughs> you guys. Thank you so much for tapping into the Objective Basketball Podcast. If you guys want, do the liking. I mean, if you've got to this point in the podcast, do the liking, subscribing. You're listening to it anyways. You might as well help support the thing. Um, Okay, cool. Take care. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Follow hosts at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at The Lauren Gunn on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA.